Harish Rajat is a founder of Push Protocol, a leading figure in the world of decentralized messaging. Push Protocol is a messaging protocol that uses the power of decentralized networks to create secure, private, and efficient communications between dApps and Web3 users. In our conversation, we dive into Harsh's background, the founding story of Push, their business model, the intersection of Web3 and AI, challenges in Web3 UX, and much more. We begin our conversation with an introduction of Push from Harsh. Push protocol is essentially a decentralized communication protocol, uh, which essentially means that it can handle all sort of communication, whether it's notification, whether it's messaging, uh, whether it's uh, video calling, streaming, or anything uh, based around notification. Uh, with When I say decentralized protocol or communication protocol, I mean using push protocol, any app, any smart contract, any protocol, any backend, any even any Web2 service can send communication, including on-chain or off-chain uh, notifications or chat or any other sort of communication, which are now tied directly to their wallet address. And this is done in a secure and encrypted way because this is an open network, still secure and encrypted. Because of that, now your wallet and your communication, they are tied together, which means that any crypto uh, wallet or any dApp can now tap into this network and can show all the communications, all the notifications, all the chats, all the other form of communication that will come out in the future, uh, right at your uh, favorite crypto wallet or at your favorite crypto dApp. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, in essence what Push Protocol is. Uh, we started back in 2020. We invented notifications for Web3 because at that point of time, everyone was going for speed and scalability. And what we saw was that uh, once you achieve speed and scalability, you have more innovations coming in. And even in 2020, a lot of DeFi protocols, they were getting liquidated and people were like, we need to be alerted. So we kind of figured this piece out that Web3 usernames are wallet address. And by that extension, any communication should be tied to them. It should not be on Telegram or Twitter. Because, you know, when we are talking on uh, a specific platform, we basically talk through that uh, specific platform username. For example, Twitter DMs, Twitter username, Telegram, Telegram usernames. With that extension, we knew that Web3 wallet addresses, which interact with the protocol, are Web3 usernames. And therefore, you needed communication to be tied over there. And yeah, that uh, in a gist, that's a push protocol. Uh, from 2020 to now, we launched uh, two products, uh, push uh, notifications. And once notifications was battle tested, uh, then we launched push chat. Uh, idea was that once you know notifications are working, then you can build WhatsApp, which is a messaging thing, but relies heavily on notifications. So that was the idea. So that's how why we launched push chat after notifications or with inbuilt Web3 native notifications. Uh, and yeah, from then to now, we have over, uh, uh, we have sent over 30 million notifications uh, to over 80,000 uh, uh, Web3 users or subscribers. And uh, yeah, we push essentially powers uh, notifications and communications for some of the coolest protocols, including uh, Uniswap, uh, Lens, uh, Gitcoin, Polygon, Aave, uh, uh, Decentraland, DYDX, and so, so, so much more. Uh, and yeah, we are live on Ethereum, Polygon, and Binance. 
that was not a very short description. <laughs> no, it's it's perfect. So just to take us a step back, um, I think just for listeners to get an idea of why it's important to have uh, notifications and and chat linked to blockchain wallets and addresses. I think kind of we are we are used to having this line of communication with the applications and services that we use, which is basically email, right? When uh, when we use any product or service, we give out we give away our email, and so if there's any update from from the the product, any you know launch or release or recall, like anything important happening. We get notified usually on our email, sometimes for, through text, but there's usually some, some, um, a channel that links our, our user person to a, a, a way that we can get in touch with that service. But the problem with web three is that we are interacting in a way that's, um, it's disintermediated, right? So we don't have to give away that uh, personal information. We are interacting with DeFi protocols, uh, with having our blockchain address interact directly with smart contracts. We're not giving away emails and phone numbers. And that's what's exciting about Web3, but it makes it hard for DeFi uh, protocols to communicate with their users. So uh, this, this is a having just like web3 native messaging through wallets solves that issue yeah so i mean you got it exactly right uh just uh just to add on to this like you know we have dApps and uh dApps if you compare it in web2 and Lotsi, uh they are the applications of web3 right and leave alone like even emails for important updates or product recalls uh any application that we use in Web2, right? When we get up in the morning, the first thing that we do is we look at our phone and we see all the notifications from all the apps that we use, whether it's important work-related stuff through Slack, whether it's that your tweet is going viral through Twitter, uh, whether it's uh, any bank alerting you that something is happening or any art auction occurring or any gaming that we are doing. All of those things, they don't expect the user to go back to the app, right? They basically say that, hey, this might be important for you. Your loan might be getting uh, liquidated or your mortgage is about to be expired or your tweet has got 800 followers or 800 likes or, you know, your gaming experience needs a refill. And they basically say, or even your Amazon item is getting delivered or someone has sent you a payment. All of those things, they basically happen from the app to the user. And they basically recall the user saying that if you want, you can take an action on it. Even when we go to the messaging part, which is the social part uh, of the entire experience, uh, we are not on WhatsApp all the time or on Telegram. But what happens is like if I... If I message a friend or a friend messages me, I get a notification through WhatsApp that, hey, something of importance has occurred. And all of these apps in Web2, they basically have their own notification module and their own messaging module, which they build because it's a Web2, so application controls all the data. Now, 
just take this example and put it in Web3. And by that very extension, if Web3 dApps need to be uh, competing with Web2 apps, they basically need all of these things. They basically need uh, notifications whenever DeFi loan is liquidating. I hope not <laughs> whenever something is upgrading, like a protocol is upgrading. Even when we are transferring something from L2 to L1 and the challenge period is there or a governance proposal comes out or even in the case of Defined because Push uh, also powers uh, Defined uh, uh, notifications for uh, articles. So all of these things, they basically are getting sent to the wallet address, right? And that's also a major problem wherein now protocols can retarget. And after retargeting, what can happen or what happens or the next uh, basic step is, of course, chat. Because when you are building Web3 Social or when you are doing an NFT marketplace, one of the extreme problems over there is that there is no way to interact with each other. Like wallets cannot talk, talk and wallets are basically usernames as well. And that's why messaging and chat becomes important uh, uh, for Web3 as a whole. So when dApps integrate uh, push notifications, does the end user have to do anything on their end or will they just receive these notifications on their desktop or like whenever, wherever they are in, uh, interacting with these dApps? Yes, so the end user will have to, of course, uh, uh, install a compatible wallet that supports push protocol or they can install an extension or they can install a mobile app like all of uh, the solutions are available or they can even install a compatible dApp or a compatible crypto wallet and they will be able to see all these notifications by just signing in with their uh, wallet address. It can be both on desktop and mobile. Uh, it is not automatic, like the end user do need to opt into notifications from a protocol and the end user do need to accept uh, another user chat request. I mean, the reason for that is basically because, you know, at one of those days, I basically didn't turn my privacy setting on on Telegram. And the moment, like the next day I woke up, I had thousands of Telegram messages. And I kind of understood that, you know, the user needs to be in control of what protocol they allow to send notifications and what users they want to chat. So it's like the first part is, of course, a user-centric step, wherein they allow these protocols or they allow these wallets to this send chat or notifications to them. And after that, uh, it's really automatic. Like they just receive it uh, wherever they want it to be. So if uh, say I'm using a MetaMask wallet um, for Uniswap, then I would have to go to push, like to the push website to allow Uniswap to send me messages through my wallet. Is that right? Yes. So one of the ways is that the user can go to app.push.org and uh, go to Uniswap channel or the Uniswap protocol and just hit opt-in, which is a free gasless way to sign their consent from their wallet so that we are we remain permissionless and we remain trustless. Uh, yeah. And once the user do it, they can uh, basically get all the notifications which Uniswap wants to send to them. 
uh, other ways because it's a protocol in essence. So they can even do it uh, from any DAF frontend where uh, uh, the uh, functionality is available. So the user doesn't even have to go to our app. Uh, in terms of wallet, so I don't think MetaMask wallet supports push yet. So in case they don't have a wallet which is compatible with push protocol yet, they can download push extension or the push mobile app and they can start receiving those notifications or chats. Which wallets are compatible? So right now, there are four wallets that are building on top of uh, push or that are integrating to on top of push. I don't think I can say out their names right now. Uh, but yeah, uh, Polygon wallet is by the way, compatible they are building and we have publicly announced so that is one and then there are three other wallets as well so for now is is the best way to download a an extension for for your wallet yeah okay um and do you have to be logged in um like do you have to have your wallet open in front of you in order to see those notifications or Will they be like popping up on my desktop if I have them enabled? They will be popping up. Otherwise, we go back to the same step, right? You have to go to something to check. So they will pop up just like they pop up on your mobile app uh, or your mobile screen. And, and there's a way to configure it so that you get those notifications on your phone as well? Yes. Uh, notifications as well as chat. What other competing or, or similar... Uh, protocols in Web3 that also offer notifications and, and chat? Sure. I mean, notifications, I don't think anyone offers at the protocol level. Uh, most of the people, they went for a Web 2.5 experience, which means that you connect your wallet to email, uh, which we felt was... Uh, which we felt was uh, not something that we wanted to do. We basically wanted to build this out in a Web3 uh, type of way. Uh, in chat, I think uh, there is dialect that is on Solana that uh, is doing uh, those messages. Uh, but again, they basically are just doing chat. They're not uh, using uh, the native notification module because they don't have that, uh, which means that the, the engagement uh, uh, might not be possible from their end. Or we basically feel that, you know, for the re-engagement to occur the best, you basically need to have chat module and notification module as separate. And I think Etherscan also had um, or has a, a chat uh, function or feature, right? Yes, but Etherscan is more like a closed thing. So uh, it's not a protocol. Basically, a protocol will mean that uh, any developer can build on top of it. Etherscan is more like uh, a Web3 solution, which is more like, WhatsApp, let's say, wherein uh, the uh, wherein it's a closed system by which you can chat, but it's not an open protocol. I'd love to learn a bit more about you. Like, what led you to to found a push protocol? I, I know that uh, it was called EPNS before. Um, so, yeah, what's what's your background and what's the founding story behind Push? I mean, the founding story behind Push is uh, really personal. I'll get get to that uh, background. So I have a decade worth of experience uh, in being an entrepreneur. Started from mobile apps and games. Uh, and yeah, 
basically dabbled a lot in communication back then because when I started, that was the point when Apple basically bought notification to Web2. And then I saw notification and how it improved or drastically changed the life of the users. And then I was there when WhatsApp became a chatting platform from a notification platform, which actually many users don't know about. And I was also there when uh, basically FaceTime calling or uh, WhatsApp video calling became a reality. Uh, so yeah, uh, started my journey back then. Was lucky to be at the right place at the right time. Then kind of grew bored of uh, doing mobile app development only. Uh, so basically went on to exploring different things. Uh, that was when uh, I stumbled upon uh, Bitcoin first. Uh, bought Bitcoin at $1,000. A week later, it was $200. So buy high, sell low. That's my strategy. But yeah, that basically uh, enabled me to check more of what is Bitcoin and what is blockchain. And that led me to Ethereum. And then that led me to working for some protocols and finally starting uh, EPNS, Ethereum Push Notification Service or PUSH. Uh, why PUSH or why communication? Uh, so essentially two reasons. One, because I saw communication being the single controlling point for everything we do in Web2. And it's so ingrained that we don't really realize that, you know, communication is what drives us to use all the apps. So that was one point. The other point was that uh, uh, basically I was using this DeFi protocol and one day I get up and everything is liquidated. And I was like, wow, why didn't I get any alerts around it? And uh, that basically became the motivation to find out like what is missing in Web3 and why we are early. And very quickly realized because of my previous experience that uh, uh, this Web3, as innovative as it is, right now it doesn't have the communication rails which led us to basically build notification first because notification was a primitive on which any other communication can be built. And that basically led us to finally build push chat, uh, even build uh, the AI chatbot, and even uh, uh, go and build out uh, something like a FaceTime video, we call it push video, which will be coming out uh, very, very soon. Awesome. Um, yeah, so really excited to chat more about the AI uh, chatbot that you created. Um, and thanks for that uh, piece of alpha with uh, with the video feature that's coming out. That's, that's really cool. Um, before we get to the uh, AI uh, um, issue, so you mentioned before you have had uh, 30 million uh, notifications sent on push. Um, 80,000 subscribers. So I, I imagine those are users who have opted in to get uh, notifications um, for more than 450 integrations. So it, it looks like since 2020, you've had a really good amount of traction. You're you're seeing kind of uh, users on, on, on the protocol, um, which is uh, great to see. So for other builders out there, what would you say are kind of important uh, lessons uh, from that that you've had in this journey? Like what what has been key in driving growth? Cool. So I mean, this can be a 
entire podcast in itself because I have so many things to share. Uh, but I'll, I'll try to summarize. So first of all, like Web3 and the Ethereum ecosystem in its whole is very, very awesome. So I would not say that uh, we got the traction. I would say that we reached out to protocols, like we reached out to Uniswap, we reached out to Aave, we reached out to MakerDAO. And we said that this is what we are planning to build. And will you be able to build this together or will you provide your input so we can perfect it because it hasn't been built? And they were uh, awesome enough to say yes. And that's how we got the traction. So the first advice, ask for help. Uh, Web3 community is really awesome. Uh, you can talk to anyone. It's It doesn't matter. Like when we started, we spoke to uh, Kevin Owaki of Gitcoin. We spoke to uh, DeFi Dad. We spoke to even Dan Finlay and uh, uh, Austin Griffith. And I mean, all of them, they basically helped us out. Like we said that how to raise. And I know that a Web3 founder basically came and spent two hours of his time after raising $25 million just to help me out. Like, okay, you cannot uh, basically pitch VCs for two hours. That is now how it goes. So that is basically one thing. Like, ask for help. Uh, not even Web3 uh, leaders or Web3 mentors. A lot of people help out. Like uh, someone gave us uh, our first ENS account. I think uh, uh, validator.eth uh, gave us that. Or ENS Ferry actually did that. Uh, DeFi Dad basically came for a one-hour session basically to understand and to tell us what is right, what is not. Uh, Tennyson also from Tally basically helped us out. And so, so many people, like I cannot really count them because you know everyone basically helped so yeah ask for help that is perfect second thing which i think we did right was because we started from a hackathon uh like we started from hack money 2020 and uh it did two things for us and this is what i speak about like the first thing was when you join a hackathon no matter how exceptional your idea is the thing is you will not know what is going on in this space and how much the space is changing. Especially Web3 where, you know, one day is uh, one week or one month. So that that is the thing. So when you join a hackathon, what happens is that you have uh, stewards that are trained to provide you the best knowledge, that are trained to provide you the best tutorials. So automatically, whatever product you are building, you are now using the best tools and you are doing this kind of like a shared knowledge or you are extracting this shared knowledge. So that is one advantage that you have when you join a hackathon. The other thing happens, or the other advantage is, because when you join a hackathon, you are also exposed with other Web3 leaders. And that basically becomes a very good real point once your startup starts to grow, or once your product gets a product market fit. Uh, for example, uh, EPNS idea, like the reason why we are here, like, we first shared it with Stani and Stani was like, yeah, this hasn't been made. So I was very scared at that point of time to say, because I was like, I'm stupid. Maybe it's made and I cannot really find it out. But yeah, he said uh, he might uh, try it out. So that gave us the motivation to build it. Right. And then we were judged by Mariano Conti and, uh, 
funny enough, after six months, we were teasing and I reached out to him. And he basically sent this uh, clip where he was judging and he said, I remember you guys. And that was so special. And now, you know, we have the honor of calling him a friend as well. So that is something that also happens to Hackathon. Like people are there, even judges or Web3 mentors, to see all the cool products. And they will basically then know about your product and they become the point where then you can ask for help and they will try to help you out. So join a hackathon. Uh, the third thing that we did was we basically, while we were building, we basically start sharing whatever we were building, no matter how crude it was. It was like I shared uh, a terminal and how notifications are coming. And somehow it got traction. I think it's because of the community it got traction. And because of that, we saw Yanev from the graph basically replying, uh, calling it like the Web3, missing piece of Web3. Uh, Dan Finley replying that, okay, this might be cool, but this is this like what you are expecting from a crypto wallet to do in version zero of VPNs, that might not be possible. Uh, then, yeah, so many other people, so many cool people just replied, Kevin replied. So all of that, it will basically give you the uh, rocket uh, boost that you want when you know that you have a cool protocol and when you know that, okay, this protocol might be needed. So uh, summarize, as I said, I could do an entire podcast around this. Uh, be shameless in asking questions. Share everything with the community. Start with a hackathon. Awesome. This is this is so helpful. And I think um all you know, all three points really are about a community and sharing and you know being open about what you're building, asking for help. Um so the fact that it, using these strategies helped you really speaks to the ethos of web three where um you know, being being open, asking for help really does yield results. Like people will will help you. They'll give good advice. They'll they'll make intros. Um, they'll try your your uh, your project out. Uh, so I think it's 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 really telling that uh, you know you, you you consider these three aspects such a, such an important part of of your growth and adoption. Silo Finance protects borrowers from risk with its innovative risk isolation. Unlike traditional lending markets, when you borrow on Silo Finance, you know your risk upfront. Join thousands of users borrowing and lending crypto you cannot find somewhere else. Bonus, they're running an incentive program so you might earn additional yield while enjoying your peace of mind. On on push itself, what's the business model there? Like just like bluntly, like how do you make money from this? Awesome. I mean, Web3 and business model, <laughs> that is amazing. So, Pulsha uh, has a very interesting business model and it's uh, not activated yet. Uh, the idea that we had was that Web2 and Web3, like there's a huge difference in Web2 and Web3, but there are certain things that Web2 did, right? Uh, at least that's what we believe. So one of the things that we believe Web2 did, right, was tried to never charge the user or make sure that the basic facilities are available for the user no matter what. 
So it basically what what we call it as a 80-20 rule. So it basically uh, Web2 relies on this philosophy that 20% of uh, the services will pay for 80% of the rest of the services. So that's that's the thing that Push also believes in. So the revenue or the business model of Push is essentially to only charge for super premium services and that too to the protocols when they are sending notifications. So for example, if you have sent over 10 million notifications, then at one point of time, push will enable this fee switch wherein uh, after 10 million notifications, you might be asked to pay. And uh, the same thing uh, for chat, like if you are going to go into a premium Telegram user model wherein you want more features, so at that point of time, you might be required to pay uh, uh, to the protocol itself. Like there is no company. So everything goes to the protocol. And this is what we call as fee pool. Uh, we started this fee pool with V2 with a very basic thing that if a protocol wants to send notification before that, it needs to be activated on our protocol. And for that, we are charging 50 push. But other than that, uh, the idea is the same. Like at one point of time, we will start charging at a very premium point wherein the service is benefiting entirely from push or the user is benefiting immensely from push and they want extra features. And once that happens, these fees will flow directly into the push protocol, which we call as a push protocol fee pool. Now, the token holders of push, they basically now decide like what part of the fee uh, goes to them and what part of the fee goes to all the crypto wallets that have adopted push because in the end push is a communication protocol so more wallets adopt they should also be incentivized to adopt and they are basically the exit point for any web3 user so they should fairly be rewarded for that and that is where the entire uh, uh, fee pool model encompasses uh, so yeah that's that's in essence is the business model of push uh, which I don't think, uh, uh, I mean, which I think we started opening up with V2 of the protocol, but I don't think uh, that a lot of uh, users or 80% of the users will have to worry about. Okay, so it's not like um, at some point users will have to uh, pay push to send a, a chat message or... or um receive notifications it will be just uh, a premium service that will be paid yes yes and no so yes for most of the user but let's say a user wants to message gate something in the future or they basically say that no one can send me a request unless they pay me in x number of push then at that point of time push will charge like 0.1 percent of that value so again it's like the premium features which the user wants to use and they heavily benefit from that, at that point of time, Push will do that. So that chat request thing, it will come out with the newest audit of Push. And right now, um, you said that there there were some fees that uh, were turned on? Yes, uh, the only fee that is turned on is when uh, a protocol wants to activate themselves on our protocol. 
So unless you activate yourself on chain on our protocol, you cannot send notifications even when notifications can be sent off chain. The reason for that is the on-chain governance will decide uh, if a protocol is misbehaving and they want to kick it out. So that activation fee is what we turned on. Uh, I mean, a couple of weeks back. And how much revenue has that generated for you so far? Cool. I mean, so 450 protocols, we basically charge a very basic fee of 50 push. So it's not about revenue. It's more like a civil production. The latest news that you've shared is that you have integrated OpenAI um, um, or like the GBT to uh, to push. So how, how did that happen? Like, how does it work? Cool. So... How does it work? If you're a Web3 user, you can just go to app.push.org slash chat slash pushai.eth and just start chatting. It's basically a chatbot which has a, a very witty personality, even a sarcastic personality, just so that you can have fun with it. So go ahead and try it out. Uh, it's based on ChatGPT, but it's a Web3 equivalent thing of ChatGPT. Uh, along with the personality of uh, a very sarcastic, humoristic person. Uh, why that? Because we thought uh, that the AI needs to be sassy. Uh, so one thing was that. The other thing was we thought that if the AI is sassy, people will play more around it. And the vision is that while we start with a very fun model, just to have some fun, uh, and by the way, the AI can uh, paint as well. So in case whoever is listening, if they want to try it out, there's a hidden command which will let AI draw whatever uh, picture you want. So if you get that, you know, just tweet out. Uh, all right. So that's the start. But that is not what we are aiming for. Like the start is this, getting people to be accommodated with what we AI can solve. But... After that, what we are thinking is that this will be such a powerful way to communicate, right? When you are chatting, uh, instead of typing a command, you can now basically tell in push chat itself in the future that you want to swap something out or you want to basically try a yield strategy out. So AI can at least assist you in calculating those things or at one point of time when payments come to push, it can basically do payments uh, as well with, by just chatting. So that way, the UX becomes a lot better. Not only that, it can basically start reading your personality, like your wallet personality. And then based on that, it can start recommending. So all of the things that we use, we don't realize. But when we are on Spotify, Spotify will never tell us that these are the new albums. Spotify tells us that you will like these albums, like a very specific set. Same with YouTube or Instagram. Like the reason why we are there more is because YouTube algorithm is learning or Instagram algorithm is learning about you and then showing you the things which they feel that you like the most. And that is a huge UX advantage that Web2 has. So that is the vision like with making or putting AI into push chat. This is something that will that we'll move forward with. Uh, other than that, you know, it can also be used as a support chatbot, right? So if you are on 
let's say Uniswap in the future, you can just click on that uh, AI chatbot and uh, you can ask questions. What is Uniswap or how to interact with it? So it's just a small start. But yeah, that's that's the bigger vision for Pushier. So the idea is that um, when different dApps integrate with Push, they'll have this kind of outsourced um, help chatbot with uh, that, that uses AI in the backend. Is that like one part of it at least? Yes. Yeah. So one part of it, like in in the very near future, whoever is building on top of Push Chat, they will have access to that module or they will have access to a way to train that module in their own way. So they can do so many cool things with it. Like you're building your protocol and there's a support chat and now people go and just chat with you that I want to uh, I want to put my money into something or I want to buy this NFT. And now the chat can respond that, hey, these are the steps to do it. So instead of user going to a documentation tutorial, it becomes very powerful that the user is just socializing and uh, talking with that bot. So that is one feature or one of the features that we are planning with uh, the Push AI bot. And then the other uh, was that you, you see um, a feature where the AI will um, interpret your activity, like your on-chain activity, and recommend other other things to do. Like maybe they'll see your your buying history on uh, OpenSea or you know other NFT marketplaces, and maybe they'll recommend an NFT collection that you like, something like that. Exactly, exactly. Actually, this is one thing with this. This is the exact thing I spoke about uh, during Denver. Like, this is how AI can help us. Like, imagine right now NFT enthusiasts, the only way they can find about other NFT collection is they go to OpenSea or Uniswap portfolio or anywhere else or even Twitter. And then they are seeing, okay, these NFTs are popular. Then they do their research and whatnot. And then they decide. Uh, this is such a... Like, again, compare it to Web2, this is a broken UX. Because in Web2, if I go to Amazon, Amazon is like, these are the products you might be interested in, you want to buy, right? So instead of going through millions of things, you are just limited to hundreds of things. Even that is personalized to you. And AI can do that. Not only that, like NFT, new NFT collection, it can also then be tweaked to respond to that, hey, you want to buy this NFT collection? Right now, the price is too high. Like the lowest price happens in this period. So not only it is able to personalize to your personality or to whatever uh, things you like, it can even help you pick those things out in the best possible time. And that is like just one of the things that AI can do. Like, again, I can go on and on about AI. But like one of the neatest thing that I saw in one of the hackathon, like Eat India hackathon, uh, was uh, that there was this project which basically built a MetaMask snap, which had push, uh, I think, as well. But uh, the gist of that snap was that uh, whenever you are doing a transaction, right, the transaction, and this was something which scares me as well, like whenever I'm interacting with a contract, the hex data doesn't really mean anything. And no matter how much we say that 
trust only what you can read. The thing is, if Web3 becomes, or Web3 has 1 billion users, you will not have time to read everything. So he used a very novel way to solve it. He basically put that uh, function of a smart contract that you were interacting with it. And he run, uh, he basically ran it through ChatGPT. And what ChatGPT did was it basically returned a, a human uh, uh, formatted way of what the function will do. And that was, it was so elegant, right? In, after that, you're going to a smart contract, you interact. Now there's a tab which explains like what this function does. And ChatGPT is doing that for you. There's no centralized entity that is doing that. Like ChatGPT is centralized at this point of time. But yeah, in essence, there's no uh, person or there's no uh, uh, centralized database in a way that is doing that for you. And that basically solves a major problem of UX. Because if you think about it, we say Web3 is the future and Web3 has innovated a ton. And I can say that Web2 and Web3 in terms of incentives, in terms of innovation, Web3 surpasses everything. But when you talk about UX, right, uh, adoption only comes with UX. So imagine when we talk about a billion users, uh, a million devs, that's fine developers they basically like to solve a puzzle and they will dig around and around because that's their job but when you are talking about users users are like you and me i like web3 so i will keep on exploring but more than that it's my job to explore but if someone says try try this new web2 app out or go try driverless car I will only try if the UX is improved. If I go to the driverless car and they say, okay, you have to be here and study this training module for six hours or this training guide, I am not going to do that because I don't have time. And that is what I think Web3 needs. Like Web3 needs to make sure that uh, the six hours of learning, no matter whether it's seat freeze, no matter whether it's interacting with the contract, no matter even it's about interacting with a protocol. All of these things, they take at least six hours or more for the new user. And that needs to be eliminated. And I feel that AI infused with Web3 is the best way to eliminate most of it, along with account abstraction, of course. So, yeah. That's a really, um, yeah, really interesting take. So for you, the interaction between Web3 and AI one part of it is um, suggesting, you know, uh, dApps and uh, you know other applications within within Web three for the user based on on their history. But I think probably most impactful will be if AI can improve the UX and and make Web three easier to understand for the everyday person. Um, because I, yeah, I think right now that is probably the biggest barrier uh, for usability. It's that, um, well, after like the on ramps, after getting your your money, like your fiat money to crypto, the next barrier there is, you know, I don't get what I'm seeing. You know, like I, I don't understand, <laughs> you know, any of this. Right, right. I mean, just just imagine, like I see that. Web3 first user, one interaction is actually 10 actions. Because I like a protocol, 
I love it's giving me huge APR or it has an NFT that I like or I like to participate in governance and I'm ready to participate. I'm all in for it. The next step, what do you have to do? You have to go install MetaMask. What is MetaMask? A normal Web3, a new Web3 user will not know. So they learn MetaMask, they install it. MetaMask basically says uh, you need to write your seed phrase down and then distribute it to your friends. So now I'm learning about uh, seed phrase. I write it. I do everything. I'm set up. Finally, I'm done. I can interact with the protocol. Not really. You need to go to a centralized exchange, do a on-off ramp, send it to your MetaMask. So now you learn centralized exchange. You do KYC. You do on and off ramp, and then you come. And hopefully, if you're lucky, then the protocol doesn't charge in its native token. Otherwise, you also have to do Uniswap course. So this is like ten actions or ten inter uh, ten actions you took for one interaction. And that needs to go away. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think AI can help kind of translate some of those steps. Uh, like like you were saying, like seeing a um, reading a, a contract or understanding what you're signing when, when you're signing a transaction. Yeah, AI can help with that. But like all of those steps you mentioned in the end, you know, it, it comes down to uh, developers making it easier. I don't think AI can kind of solve uh, all of that, right? Right, right. So AI can help not in the onboarding journey as much as it can help in the re-engagement journey and in the journey once you are onboarded. So as I said, like AI and I believe account abstraction, like what Ethereum is working towards, that will help significantly because if you extract abstract away the seed phrase, and you are able to basically tell the user that you can create a social recovery account via smart contract uh, wallet creation. Uh, th that basically is a huge step. Even network abstraction, which I think Instadab did with their new wallet launch. That's an amazing step, right? So those type of things, they will ease the onboarding, wherein onboarding is as easy as how I go to Riverside, I enter my email, and that's about it, right? <laughs> There's no any additional step. I think that will be done by account abstraction, and AI will come in to improve your life drastically. So the NFT discovery, or personalization, which basically we love in Web2, that will be driven by AI in Web3. It's really interesting to see how quickly AI started permeating everything. It feels like almost overnight, like almost, you know, in, in a couple of months, we're seeing how AI can just uh, improve, you know, everyday tasks uh, that we're doing. And um, I think we're just starting to explore how it, AI and Web3 can work together, but yeah, it just feels like it will be, I don't know if I'm being like too optimistic, but it, it just feels like these new technologies coming on board can just unleash this kind of golden age of tech, you know, just these kind of peer-to-peer -peer money protocols using AI um, to improve experience, to, to, you know, make everything faster, easier, uh, more accessible. I don't know. Hopefully we'll see that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just think about it. Like, we already have innovation. We already have 
user economy or creator economy, which means that if a user comes to Web3, they anyway are not the product now. They basically, if they contribute something to the network, they earn it back. So those things are anyway 10x better than Web2. What we lack is the UX part, which this account abstraction and AI will improve. And that will basically make it very seamless. So in the future, I don't think we even will talk about Web3 and Web2. Uh, or people will know whether it's Web3 and Web2. I think that's where we are headed. And I mean, to me, it's very exciting. Yeah, same here. So sorry, you're saying that we won't talk about Web2 and Web3 because it'll be the same thing or because everyone will be on Web3? <laughs> I I mean both. So everyone will be on Web3, but they will not realize they are on Web3 unless they dig it further. So for example, this video that we are doing, we don't realize, but there are at least uh, five to 10 protocols that are interacting with each other. Like WebRCT is probably doing the video call, then a video call is getting recorded. And, you know, HTTP is because we are on website and so on and so forth. But we don't realize that because everything is abstracted away, right? And I think that is where Web3 will be. So we will just be using something like we'll be using Uniswap and we'll be like, oh, you want a bank, uh, go to Uniswap. And people will not even have to uh, figure out like how their banking is operating. They will just know that it's operating. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, all right. And then uh, talking about what's next for for push. So we, we talked about this uh, AI development and you mentioned this uh, video uh, chat as well. So if, if you want to, can you explain a bit more about what this is? Sure. So... I mean, that's the thing, like the next uh, the next step for push in terms of communication is to further open up the rails or to further give developers a tool so that they can build uh, a lot of cool things out, right? And that is where we are headed. So uh, we are going to be uh, launching a push video very, very soon, which is basically a peer-to-peer -peer decentralized wallet-to-wallet uh, uh, -wallet video call, uh, which is a protocol so developers can build on top of it. So that's that's the next thing. We call it the era of uh, decentralized social networking. Uh, yeah, or the marketing team calls it that, and I really like it, so I call it that as well. But yeah, that's, that's coming, and that's uh, alpha. Uh, it's going to come very soon. I'm not going to announce when, but yeah, it's coming. Okay, so is that kind of like FaceTime? Like how? how... Yes, yes. Okay, all right. But for wallets. Interesting, really cool. Okay, that'll be exciting to test out. Um, okay, and then lastly, I'd love to just see your big, big picture, long-term vision for push. Like if everything goes well and we have this Web3 slash AI infused internet and future like where do you see push in, in 10 years sure i mean uh again it sounds very cliche when you say we are just getting started but the reality is we are just getting started so the vision of push is very big like it's a communication protocol of web3 and we started with ethereum because again the community we owe it to them to be here so that's why 
we started with Ethereum and then we went to Polygon and then we went to BNB and we are on Polygon CKVM as well. But the vision is that we'll be everywhere, no matter if it's Ethereum blockchain, no matter it's EVM, it's non-EVM, no matter even if it's non-Ethereum like Bitcoin or Aptos or Solana, we will be there because communication is needed everywhere. So that's that's the vision that we are aiming for. The second vision is that wallets basically are handled by the user and the user can have multiple wallets on multiple chains. And again, we should have UX in mind. So a user from any chain should be able to interact with a user of any other chain. So a user of uh, Ethereum should be able to interact with a user of Bitcoin if they want to. Even a protocol of, let's say, Ethereum uh, should be able to interact with a user of Solana if they want to and vice versa. So that is again the next vision for push, which is that a user can have multiple wallets on multiple chain and they don't have to worry about that they will get their chats or they will get their messages or notifications or video call on just a specific address. It should be that they get it to a specific user. And that's what Push is working on. And uh, yeah, the last one is that uh, because these things are multi-chain or cross-chain, uh, any crypto dApp, no matter or any crypto wallet, no matter if it's on Ethereum, if it's on Aptos, if it's on Bitcoin, they should be able to show these things out to the user. The user should not come to Ethereum to check Ethereum-related communication or go to, if they are a user of Solana, let's say, then go to Solana to check that out. Everything should be seamless. And yeah, that's that's what uh, Push is all about in terms of UX, basically uplifting the entire U, uh, UX uh, for the user, uh, being this middleware for the entire Web3, wherein communication, no matter its video, no matter its uh, uh, even uh, this uh, podcast that we are doing, no matter like in the future, even if it's a podcast or a Twitter space or a message or a, a token-gated payment or uh, a notification or something else as well, like the things that we are working on, some moonshot projects. All of this should be available to all the developers of Web3. And that's the uh, basic vision of Push. Very cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I love the, vis the big vision, this really interoperable, seamless communications uh, platform. Um, and then uh, lastly, uh, Harish, how are you defiant? I, I believe that you need to challenge the status quo all the time. I do believe that people who basically take it upon themselves to change the world will usually do, or other people who will usually be responsible of changing it. So how am I defined? I love to challenge whatever is there, and I love to keep on improving that. I don't know if that's that's the answer to the question, but yeah. That's... I love that answer. Um, yeah, it's like people who who think they can change the world and want to will do it. Like they're 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 the ones that will be able to do that. Um, and yeah, I realize we're two kind of uh, maybe at least like I'm non-native English speaker, so sometimes there can be miscommunications. But you know, it's it's part of being. Uh, uh, yeah. 
you know, in this global uh, ecosystem. Uh, anyway, Sars, it was so great uh, speaking. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, and yeah, really excited to see all the all the different developments that uh, you guys are doing. Um, I think, you know, it really is so necessary to, to have a messaging protocol that's decentralized and, and Web3 native. So thanks so much uh, for coming to the podcast. Thank you, Camilo. I had really great fun. <laughs>